Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. As the coronavirus pandemic continues, so too does our coverage of its impact and the ongoing drive to answer the many regulatory questions it raises. In this episode, I'm down the line to Journal of Trading Standards editor Richard Young. We discuss a series of new digital coronavirus bulletins issued through the Business Companion website by the Chartered Trading Standards Institute and the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Focusing on food, travel and housing and home improvements, the guides do their best to clarify the complex legislative picture in each of these heavily affected industries. Since the crisis began, there has been an unfortunate tendency for misinformation to circulate, particularly on social media. So I asked Richard to go through each guide and explain what we do and don't know at the current time. Sharing government advice at the moment is very much aiming at a moving target, so the bulletins are being updated regularly, and we recommend that you check the Business Companion website for the latest versions before relying on this information. I began by asking Richard about one of the hardest hit sectors, travel. So Richard, Business Companion has released a series of guides referred to as coronavirus bulletins, and these are focusing at the moment on some key areas, travel, food, home improvements, and so on. I wanted to just focus on the travel one to begin with. Now, obviously, this is a, an ever-moving picture. I think at the moment, at the time of publication, we have a fairly recent version of this guide, but obviously it's going to be updated and changed from time to time. But at the moment, what is the advice that's being given as regards travel, just in, in broad terms? Well, obviously, as you say, the implications of coronavirus and the lockdown has been very far reaching. And I think travel is probably one of the most affected areas of business. Obviously, at the beginning of the lockdown, the, the government issued a statement through the, the Foreign Office advising against all unnecessary foreign travel. Now, when it comes to, to holidays, that is seen as, as non-essential travel. And so there's obviously wider restrictions in place. Now, it looks as though those restrictions are going to be enforced for the foreseeable future. But at the same time, because the situation is, is changing so rapidly, there is a chance that they could be removed at any time as well. So all, all that we can really say for sure is that as, as lockdown arrangements continue, consumers and businesses are both going to face significant new challenges. Okay, so legislation obviously already exists that lays out uh, the responsibilities of, of holiday providers. The law is slightly different as regards package holidays uh, and non-package holidays. I think the key question that people are going to have is going to be about travel that's that's been booked and is being cancelled. Now, there's sort of two options here. There, there will be travel that has has to be cancelled because of the lockdown, and then there might be travel that, that people don't want to go on anymore, even after the government has said that it's safe to travel. What would the situation be in both of those scenarios? Well, I think one of the important things to bear in mind is that much of the legislation around uh, package travel and link travel arrangements, for example, was not written with the current situation in mind. And so while there are clear-cut laws around things like cancellation and, and, and compensation, and as you say, there's going to be situations where customers are perhaps technically able to travel, but unwilling to travel for understandable reasons, where things are going to be slightly more blurred. A, a large issue is going to be what kind of insurance they have with the initial 
booking, in terms of cancellations. There is quite a lot of information out there. Business Companions put out an in-depth guide on on package travel and holidays, which is available on the Business Companion website. And and similarly, there's there's in-depth guidance on on the Business Companion websites around the supply of services and travel when it comes to things like accommodation. But obviously, these are unprecedented times. and, And I think the important thing for everybody to bear in mind is that a degree of flexibility, pragmatism and, and most importantly, communication between businesses and consumers is going to be very, very important going forward to try to deal with some of these issues. So let's move to food now. There is a guide devoted specifically to food and there's perhaps more information available uh, on this topic than there is for, for travel at the moment. Can you, again, just kick us off by giving us an overview in broad terms of of what's being said? In terms of food, particularly food production, I suppose one of the few sources for optimism is that food is is prepared or, or ideally should be prepared if businesses are being responsible in a in a hygienic environment where people are used to following procedures like like hand washing, for example. The important things I suppose for businesses to bear in mind is their responsibility towards their their staff. So anybody who's involved in the handling or preparation of food who is unwell obviously should not be be at work. The, the government's put out advice for food businesses on, on its own website, in addition to the existing business companion materials around food hygiene and things like allergen, etc., many of which still apply in the, in the current situation. So the bulletin actually has a sort of positive take on opportunities that could, could arise from COVID-19. And they've talked about the opportunities and support available for diversification within food businesses. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, this idea that the COVID-19 crisis has resulted in greater diversification of the ways in which food is bought and consumed in this country is, is, is quite an interesting one. So businesses have been sort of encouraged to to find new ways of expanding the scope and, and scale of their of their operations. The, the the important things, though, as always, is to make sure that businesses are providing safe food, which is properly labelled in terms of things like uh, sourcing and and manufacturing, as well as, of course, allergens and and the, the existing laws around food safety, food hygiene, and allergens obviously still still apply. There's there's been lots of support put out uh, around meeting some of these these challenges of, of diversification. That's been provided by the Food Standards Agency the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health and and various trade associations. Many of these are free online and the coronavirus bulletin put out by Business Companion contains links to to, to much of that information. So the relaxation of the planning rules that has allowed pubs and restaurants to start to deliver, that's in place for 12 months. Um, Is there a risk that businesses are making big changes to the way that they operate only to have to change back sometime within the next year? That will vary on a case-to-case basis, depending on the the nature of the business and also obviously depending on consumer habits over the next year or two. It's very difficult at the moment to say whether pubs and restaurants post-lockdown will be able to reopen in the same form as they had before. For example, if social distancing measures are still in place, it's going to be difficult for many pubs and restaurants to contain the same number of customers they would do previously and yet still keep their profit margins up. So these new rules around the relaxation of of things like takeaways and deliveries 
as you say, they were brought in on the 17th of March. They're going to be in place for 12 months. And essentially, it means that businesses which were previously unable to offer takeaways will be able to do so. It applies to to hot food and drinks, excluding alcohol. Obviously, existing licensing conditions will remain in place for alcohol. But then it may be that certain businesses will apply for, for new licenses to try to factor that into how they operate for foreseeable future. Again, the government put out information on their website for pubs and restaurants, and that again is, is included in the coronavirus bulletin details. One of the upshots of this change in consumer behavior is that there's a possibility that there's a knock-on effect on waste, both food waste and single-use carrier bags. Now, there's actually been a change to the single-use carrier bags legislation, which means that temporarily that they're treated differently. And I understand that regulations are different across the nations. Could you tell us a little bit about the carrier bags first, and then we'll look at food waste? Yes, that's right. So obviously, over the past couple of years, a charge has been phased in for single-use carrier bags. That's been suspended in light of the COVID-19 situation, because obviously there's going to be people having click-and-collect services delivered to their houses, and it wouldn't be safe for, for consumers or for delivery drivers to have to go into somebody's house with a, a box of food, as would have previously been the case. So the rules around charges for carrier bags have been relaxed for that reason, so that online deliveries specifically can be left outside people's homes or on people's doorsteps. As you say, there is some degree of difference across the UK in how this is being enforced. In, in England, single-use carrier bags are going to be exempt from charges until the 21st of September 2020. In Scotland, single-use plastic bags used for food deliveries will be exempt from charges until the 1st of October in Wales, single-use plastic bags are going to be exempt from charges until the 8th of July 2020. Now, it's important to bear in mind that these dates are correct as we're talking in uh, mid-May. It may well be that things change as the situation develops. So obviously, consumer patterns are, are difficult to predict at the moment. You know, we, we've had examples uh, of bulk buying, you know, consumers typical shopping and, and eating habits are, are going to be changing. What impact is that likely to have on, on food waste? Food waste may be something which a lot of businesses are struggling to deal with. Businesses who are unable to, to, to sell their product may be finding it difficult to get rid of ageing stock and consumers, as a consequence of stockpiling, likely to be buying food which they are unable to use up before it goes off. So there is a, there is a risk here of food waste becoming increasingly prevalent. So there are some differences in the way that, that foods are marked up. Uh, we have best before, use by and sell by dates. Can you just explain what the difference is? Yes. So with the best before date, that's the description which is probably going to be applicable to, to most types of food. Best before, it's intended as an indication of, of how long a, an item of food can reasonably be expected to retain its optimal condition. Now, retailers are allowed to sell food after its best before date, provided that it is safe to eat. A use by date, on the other hand, is relevant to highly perishable food, which presents a microbiological risk to the consumer if sold after that date. So a use by date is more applicable to the actual safety of the food. Now, it remains an offence for shops to sell food after its use by date. Then we have the sell by date. 
products may be labeled with a sell by or display until date. These aren't required by law and are usually used by retailers for, for stock control purposes. So what will be happening to the local authority food inspections that would uh, typically have been carried out by environmental health and trading standards officers? Well, it's inevitable that there's going to be a reduction in routine inspections of food businesses for various reasons, partly because a lot of these food businesses will be closed, so there's no necessity to inspect them. But also things like social distancing requirements will make inspection impossible. Also, enforcers are likely to be spread very thin at the moment. And so conducting routine inspections of food premises is likely to diminish somewhat. However, this this obviously places an added onus on businesses to ensure that the food that they're putting on the market is safe, to make sure that it's, it's properly labelled and presented, to make sure that descriptions of food aren't misleading, and also to keep an eye on things like traceability. So some businesses are not allowed to be open at the moment. What's going to happen to any businesses who, who don't comply uh, with the requirement to close? Well, that's right. Yes. So on, on the 26th of March, new, new regulations were introduced, which mean that businesses which haven't closed when they should have done, they can be forced to close by environmental health and trading standards officers if necessary. And police support is available for that if required. There's various different means of enforcing that. It could be through fixed penalties. It could be through prohibition notices. Throughout the coronavirus pandemic, there have been issues with pricing. Prices are obviously going up naturally enough for products that are, are in high demand and, and low supply. Uh, but there have been allegations of, of price gouging. How is that affecting food and what's being done about it? Yes, well, as you, as you say, there have been signs that certain businesses have tried to take advantage of the situation by hiking their prices. That was perhaps something that was, was happening more at the beginning of the lockdown. It seems like perhaps people's initial impulses to panic buy and stockpile certain goods have diminished somewhat. Having said that, it's, it's clearly a, a matter of great concern to enforcers, particularly the, the, the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA. I know that they're doing work at the moment to investigate some of these alleged price gouging incidents. And it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that pans out as, as the situation continues in terms of businesses being, being brought to account for the way that they've behaved in the, in the current situation. So the third uh, guide that Business Companion has released in this series of coronavirus bulletins is focused on housing and home improvements. Now, obviously, the property market has pretty much ground to a halt at the moment with uh, lettings agents, estate agents and so on closed. But there are still going to be lots of people out there, both tenants and landlords, who have issues to deal with and want to know where they stand. So let's start first with landlords. How have their responsibilities changed um, and what are the issues they're going to be facing at the moment? Well, in many ways, the, the responsibilities of the landlord fundamentally are, are the same that they've always been, i.e. They, they have a responsibility to provide their tenants with safe and, and, and decent housing. Having said that, there are new bits of legislation which have been brought in to address the, the current situation. 
the most important thing uh, is perhaps around possessions of housing. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be struggling financially under the COVID crisis as, as their, their employment circumstances change. Now, the Coronavirus Act 2020 has been brought in to prevent landlords from starting possession proceedings against tenants without giving three months notice. That's in England and Wales, six months notice in Scotland. Now, the Coronavirus Act will apply up until the 30th of September 2020. Obviously, after that, it's anybody's guess what's likely to happen, but it may well be extended. Aside from the, the, the legislative framework, landlords are being strongly advised to think very carefully about their obligations to tenants who may, may be ill. They may be facing other, other hardships as a result of, of COVID-19. There's also the importance of landlords to communicate with tenants and vice versa. If, if a landlord circumstances circumstances change or if a tenant circumstances change, they each need to be kept informed of that so that they can come to some mutually satisfactory arrangements around paying the rent, for example. In terms of uh, landlords' obligations around repairs, it's, it's strongly advised that it's only urgent repairs, so things like a leaking roof or a, a broken boiler, which should be addressed by the landlord. Obviously, if there's workmen coming into a rented property, that's increasing the dangers for the traders themselves. It's increasing the danger for the tenant of, of being exposed to coronavirus. So, as I say, the, the guidance is, is for urgent repairs to be taken care of, but perhaps things which are slightly less essential can, can probably wait. Landlords are being encouraged to use technology if possible, video conferencing, etc. If they do need to inspect a uh, an issue with a property rather than physically going there, again, it's about keeping everybody as, as safe as possible. If, if there's a prospective new tenant to come to inspect a property, that's not going to be in anybody's interest to do that physically at the moment. So things like video calls to to show somebody around a, a, a property, a, a, the best way of doing that is in the current circumstances. In regards to work that's being done in people's homes, so home improvement businesses or tradespeople, how are government changes going to, to affect them? Well, the government's released new guidance for, for construction and tradespeople around whether they should continue to work. Obviously, as, is, as has been the case with our discussion of food and travel, individual circumstances vary and it's very difficult at the moment to, to have any definitive answer to some of these questions. Work carried out in people's homes by, by tradespeople carrying out repairs, it can continue provided that that tradesperson is well and exhibits no symptoms of coronavirus. Equally, if there's a, a household which uh, needs repairs and there's people in that household who have signs of coronavirus, no, no work should be carried out there. Public Health England's put out guidelines around this, including maintaining two metre distances from, from people in the home. And Public Health England can provide additional advice if that's necessary. As I say, nobody who has coronavirus symptoms should be carrying out work in, in, in any property or, or indeed anywhere. And also work which has been planned in previously, but it's not urgent, it's not an emergency. So something like installing solar panels or building an extension shouldn't go ahead. But then obviously there's going to be certain, certain issues which are more immediately necessary to remedy. So things like boilers breaking down, plumbing blockages, that kind of thing, if, if there's a, a safety risk caused by a, a, an issue in a property, those things would be deemed an emergency and they should be undertaken subject to the previously mentioned provisos. Well, Richard, thank you for taking us through all of that. Listeners can get hold of the three guides we've been discussing today from the Business Companion website, businesscompanion.info. 
So far, the three guides cover, as we've discussed today, food, travel and housing and home improvements. There may be new guides released. Those will be announced in the following few days. All guides can be accessed at the Business Companion website, businesscompanion.info forward slash focus forward slash coronavirus hyphen COVID hyphen 19. It's important to underscore that this is very much shifting regulatory landscape. So we recommend that listeners check back regularly and follow links within the guides to various other government sources. Well, that's it for another episode. My thanks to Richard for taking us through the guides and thank you for listening. We'll be back again in mid-June with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.